Hey friend, we just wanted to pop over and remind you of all of the freebies that we have on our website at hustlehumblypodcast.com slash resources. There are quite a few on there. They work for buyers and sellers, for your business, all different things you might need and all for free. Mm -hmm. Alyssa, which one is your favorite? My favorite freebie is the due diligence checklist. Oh, that's a good one and Mm -hmm. so impactful for your buyers. Mm -hmm. It's a great email template. It's a really good one. Uh, My favorite is probably staging checklist. Mm -hmm. I want my sellers to have those houses looking good. Yes, yes. So head over and see which ones you would like to download or get them all. Enjoy. He picked this up at a gas station and like blew turkey feathers out of his seat and was like, sit on down right here. (laughs) Sorry, I went hunting this weekend. There's turkey feathers everywhere. Hi, y'all. Welcome to Hustle Humbly. It's Alyssa and Katie, and we are two top producing realtors in the Baton Rouge market. We work for two different companies where we should be competitors, but we have chosen community over competition. The goal of our podcast is to encourage you to find your own way in business. So stop comparing yourself and start embracing your strengths. Hello, friends. It's Katie. And Alyssa. And we are here with episode 52, Investments Part 2, and some, maybe we'll decide on the title after we finish talking. Yeah, but we'll we'll get there. We're still in the vein of investments. So last week, I do want to tell you, the episode last week where you tell us about your story of rental properties, I just felt super inspired by that. I was like, oh, good. I've got to go get me one of those investment properties, and I'm going to be real smart about it. I'm going to leave the money in the account. I'm going to be so proud. Um, so I think that that was really good, and I thought that was a really practical way to explain it to realtors and to use their knowledge in a in a way to help with their retirement. So I was yeah. really I was really into that. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I I think my goal is to let people know it's so doable and it's not that scary. And just start with with one One. and keep it for a couple years. And if you hate it, sell it. Okay, but but you're not going to hate it when the account grows and you're going to love it. You're going to get hooked on it. Yeah. Okay, so keeping in that topic, we did not address the very last investment that you purchased. So I kind of want you to talk us through the last one that you purchased, what it is and why, and kind of give us some backstory. Yes. So I recently purchased a cabin in Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area in Tennessee. And I did this because there is a lender in my office that has two cabins that she's had for a couple years. They love going there. So they thought, why not just make this an investment? And they go frequently and they enjoy it. And it, I, you know how I am. I'm not a big risk taker. And yeah. I, I was going to do it like three years ago and chickened out because it's so far away. But She's doing so well that three other people in my office have right. bought a cabin. So right. now I have all of these like examples proof. that are yeah. working, yeah. proof that it's going to be okay. I got pre-approved. I ran the numbers. And um, one of my rentals, uh, the Pier and Beam rental that I had, uh, my tenants were moving out. And I just decided because it's a pier and beam, I think it'd be best to just cuten up the house and sell it. So I actually did a 1031 exchange. So whenever I sold my pier and beam house, the money was sent directly to the title company in Tennessee as my down payment for the cabin. So I was not taxed on any of the profit I made. It's all deferred. Um, Yeah. 
you know, it just rolled over because I just reinvested the money. And the numbers are, are just working out really well at this time. They are, even despite like the COVID epidemic and everything like that, um, of course, there are things that are a little bit more stressful and because I don't have my people in Tennessee. Yeah. Like in Baton Rouge, if I need an emergency electrician or plumber or handyman, I have, you know, 10 that I can call. Right. I'm still trying to find my go-to people people. in Tennessee. Yeah. And so, um, but so far it, now that it's all set up and renting and doing really well, it's just been, it's, it's certainly more profitable than my other residential rentals here in Baton Rouge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's looking very promising. So I like that. All right. I want it, I want you to back up now because I know the backstory. You were not looking necessarily for just the cabin. You were searching no. for a beach condo. Yes, I I like the beach and yeah. it's an easy drive from where we live, whereas Tennessee is like 11, 12 hours with a toddler in the car. Um it's just hard to get there. And I know if I owned a beach property, we would use it. But the problem is that I'm not, I, again, I'm looking for an investment property that I like, yeah. that I would want to go stay there. But in order for me to go stay there, I need at least three or four bedrooms. Yeah. And I got a realtor that was at the beach in the area that I was looking in. And he was wonderful. He was just recommended to me by somebody. And um, the numbers just weren't working. Yeah. I could I could not, because here's why. If you are okay with not being on the beach, if you're okay with being across the street um, and walking to the beach, which I'm not. I want a balcony right. looking at the beach. If you you're okay having, yeah. yes, if you're okay having a balcony that allows you to look at a parking lot, you have more <laughs> options. Right. Again, I, that's not why I go to the beach. Yeah. Um, and it just seemed like the mortgage I could handle, like I was having to really push my budget yeah. to get what I wanted, but I could do the mortgage. But then you're looking at HOAs of, 800 to 1200 a month. Yeah, and that's really tough to swallow. I cuz that's not contributing to your more like to your money. It's it's no. bye-bye money. Yes, yes. And that was for complexes that had crappy pools. <laughs> right. So, it's not like I was paying 1200 a month for this like resort. Yeah. The property. lazy river? I like a lazy river. No, no, no. There wasn't any of that in my budget, okay? No. And I thought I had a pretty decent budget, but I don't for the beach. Not for the beach. Not for the beach. And then what was neat was anytime I would send my realtor or he would send me a property, because there are so many beach rentals, and it was like this for the cabin also, they send you their income and loss sheet so you can actually see like what did this property bring in last year versus what did it cost to own and I would say the majority of the spreadsheets that I saw were between like negative 3,500 a year up to maybe positive like 5,000 a year okay and it's not like that was bad right but but it's just not what I'm looking for and it what it wasn't going to be on a condo that I was going to be super happy with anyway. Yeah. Now, I what mean, did the spreadsheets look like in comparison on the cabins? Oh my gosh, <laughs> was it like crazy? <laughs> 
Depending on the number of bedrooms yeah. with the cabins, you're looking at anywhere from income from 30000 a year up to sixty five. Yeah. I want to say there was one mega cabin that brought in like $72,000. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, the numbers were just like, I, 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 in my heart... I want a beach. I want a place yeah. at the beach. I will use it. I know it's not always about like money and right. like sometimes you need to just do things because you enjoy it. Yeah. And and to be honest, I think that is my next goal. Right. Is a place at the beach, but it may take me like five or six years. Yeah. Well, this uh, nice cash flowing cabin might help you get there faster. So my mom was like, just use the money from the cabin to get you a place at the beach. Yeah. I was like, I know. I know I need to do that, but, um, I don't know. It's, uh, the, the online world has made it really easy to own property away like Airbnb, VRBO. They're like, they're like well-run machines. They have it all figured out. Their calendars all sync together. So I was asking you about like, how do you know what to charge? Because it's seasonal. And so the the prices change in an area that I'm thinking, oh my God, that's so much research. You're like, nope. VRBO Mm -hmm. just told me. Yeah, like basically with my cabin, once I entered in all of the information and the, you know, size and bedrooms and location, it tells me how, like, this is our suggestion. Now you can plus or minus that depending on how you're renting. Um, Some people plus it, you know, just just to plus it if they're okay with not having quite as many renters. Um, But I just kind of left it with what they recommended and... I think we were rented like 23 nights in June. That's great. So almost full capacity. So Um, now that brings up my next question. If you keep renting at that rate, will you block times when you're going to go? Or is this really strictly an investment and you don't care if you go? Because of where it's located, I don't care to go at this phase of life right now. Yeah. Um, a car ride with a three-year-old that far is challenging. Yeah. But we did do it. We brought her up there. We went hiking and we did have a lot of fun, but we really need to do that drive where you really need to stay like five or six days. Yeah. And that's hard. Like I'm much more of like a Thursday through Tuesday, you know. You like a short. Yeah. Like short and frequent. Like let's do this once a month, you know, yeah. and the cabin just isn't like that. But you know how I'm in my book club? Yeah. So in my book club, once a month, we read a book and then we have dinner based on the theme of the book that we read. So two of the girls in my book club are like big Dolly Parton fans. Oh, yeah. So in November, we are reading a Dolly Parton book and taking a four-day girls trip to the cabin. That's going to be fun. For book club. And we're going to go to Dollywood and we're going to do the whole thing. But um, I I see myself going once or twice a year really to check on things, yeah. make sure everything is how I need it to be. Yeah. Um, I don't have a management company. Um, okay. How's that working out? Great. It's going fine. fine. My The lender that had that has the cabins had a management company for years. It was a headache. They charge like... I want to say she said they charge like 50 or 60% of, of your the rentals? revenue. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it is a lot, but again, it's either their management company calling you or it's the vacationers. Like someone is calling you. So you're not yeah. saving yourself time by necessarily hiring this 
you know, property man. management. Yes. Yeah. So she was terrified to do this, but she, but after seeing the others that bought cabins leave the management companies, she was like, I just have to do this. The, the profit margin is crazy. And she said, Alyssa, it's like no different. Right. I mean, again, unless you have like 10 cabins. Right. But because of the way the websites are set up, everything runs itself. Like the cleaners, like whenever you get a cabin, you just interview the maintenance and cleaning crew and they are assigned to your cabin and their calendar syncs with Airbnb and VRBO. Oh. So I don't have to notify them like when guests are coming and going. They just are alerted and know, hey, yeah. the cabin has to be clean. Especially when it's like checkout is at 10 a.m. and the next people are coming yeah. the same day at 4 p.m. They yeah. know that. Yeah. Do you sign a contract with the cleaner? Like, how does that work? I don't think I signed a contract. I think yeah. we just interviewed each other and he was like, sure, I'd be happy. And he sent me the website that he uses. Mm-hmm. And um, on his website, like if ever a guest is like, hey, can we check in early? I can log in and see if it's if ready. Done. Yeah. Yeah. So it tells me like when they come and go. And um, I also hold deposits until the cleaner tells me the house looks good or if anything's missing or broken. Um, so it's just been like, it's like they have everything figured out because yeah. of technology. It's, it's just so yeah. easy. Very Automated. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious if the beach, I guess, would be similar. You still use the same assume. websites. Yeah, yeah, same. I don't know. So you're saying that VRBO and Airbnb, they, they sync together. Mm-hmm. So if somebody books on Airbnb, it blocks off that week on VRBO. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's I really interesting. It. So you're, but you're a newbie. We'll find out. Maybe we'll do a check-in yes, in talk a year. To me, talk to me in a year and we'll see how a whole calendar year has gone but from what I have seen and the evidence I have seen it should be fine because they said really the only like slower month is like from January through Mardi Gras yeah because it's like people are done with Christmas school Mm -hmm. is starting back nobody you know it's kind of slower but after Mardi Gras people come for like the spring hiking and the summer it's Dollywood and the touristy stuff in the fall it's hiking and the leaves and the winter it's the snow yeah whereas the beach you're really banking on those summer spring and summer yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's very interesting it's so interesting but like a girl in my office owns a beach condo Mm -hmm. And during this COVID stuff, oh no, she like went and lived at her condo. Well, that's nice. And she was working on her balcony that looked at the ocean every day with that's her laptop. Nice. And I was like, dang, I have to get me one. Right. <laughs> For the next pandemic. Yeah. I'm getting me one of those beach condos. And I'd be fine going sit on the balcony in the wintertime when no one's there. Yeah. Well, lots of snowbirds do it. Yeah. That's funny. Okay, I like that. Thank you for sharing. I think that's very interesting. I'm just super interested in the whole just process. follow along and see how it goes. Yeah, I can't wait to see how it goes. <laughs> so far, so good. Oh my gosh, that's nice. Okay, so I also, when we sort of briefly touched on it in the last episode, I want to talk about different ways you could flip, but not flip. So I don't know how far we got into it on the show, but I have built two houses. The first one that I built... After two years, my husband looked at me and said, hey, do you think we should sell this thing and build another one? And I'm like, well, I just spent all this time picking all this stuff out and I love it. It's my dream home. I don't want to do that. And I walked from the kitchen where he said that and I was so mad. And I walked to the bathroom and and I got there and I said, I hate this tile. I've always hated this tile. I was like, yes, (laughs) yes. 
we can sell this house. So because of his skill set and being, you know, in the construction field, we were able to build that house ourselves. So we had a lot of sweat equity on new construction, which is possible if you can build in a place where you don't need a builder, maybe you own land, whatever the case may be. So we had all this sweat equity. I mean, like he did the trim, he laid the floors, like, you know, there was just a lot of that. So we sold it, made good money because we were there two years as occupants, did not have to pay capital gains, and then put that money into our next house and built again. Now, in theory, we would have in two years left this house and built again, but we really like our neighbors. So we got kind of stuck. But maybe when my kids are older, I'll get back in that like vibe where every two years we just go again. Yeah. Uh, But I think that if you're looking to flip, if you're a flipper and you're, you know, able to move regularly, like you don't feel like you've got to be in one place, it's a really good idea to buy something that needs renovation, live in it, do the renovation. And then in two years, then you sell it. People aren't going to scrutinize that money as much as when they know a house is being flipped. You know, when you have a buyer Mm -hmm. and they know this is a flip house, this is a flip house. Oh, well they didn't put a hundred thousand dollars in this house, but they want to sell it for a hundred thousand dollars more. And you're always fighting against that. Uh, If you wait the two years, I I think you get around that. You get around (laughs) the taxes. I mean, you've lived there. It's your primary residence. You can go do it again. Like you made some choices you didn't love or it's not your favorite neighborhood in the whole wide world, but you knew it would, you know, make some money. I think that's a really great way to flip. I'm doing my air quotes podcast without flipping. Like, you know, and it's a lot less risk because you're living in it. It's your primary, it's your home. So in two years, if you can't sell it, it's still your home. Like you're still living there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a good idea. Yeah. If Tanner would let me do that, I would be so on board with just moving every two years and fixing up the house I live in. Yeah. That'd be fun. Get the money back out of it. You put the work in, like you have the vision, you know how buyers these days don't have the vision anymore. You probably, I mean, after two years, it'd be easy to sell, you know, like if you had a good vision and you bought something old or ugly or any of the rentals that you bought and decided to rent, you could have just as easily renovated and lived in and sold two years later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they needed the love, but it's an easier way to get a deal, I think, and to actually make something out of it. It's hard. The numbers on flippers, they're so tight. So tight. I mean, I've heard things where they're happy with making $10,000 and I'm like, that is not okay with me. Like that is that's such a tiny, tiny margin. If you run into something big, you weren't expecting like an AC or a sewer issue or like, who knows what $10,000 leaves you a lot of room for risk. I mean, you're not, you're not talking about an easy out. I just, I think that if you're risk averse, it would be much (laughs) better to live in it, renovate it and then sell it. And you're not competing with all of the flippers who are trying to make the money when they buy. Right. Mm-hmm. In this system, you would really be trying to make the money when you sell. I mean, hopefully you get a decent deal, but you it have doesn't more have time. To, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be the best deal in the neighborhood for this system to work. So that's my thought on that. Thoughts? Agreed. Agreed. I like it. I like it. It's a it's a different way to look at it. I don't think people really, other than realtors, I don't think people, general lay people, consider that. Well, renovating is expensive. It is expensive. Materials, labor, it's all expensive. You got to have a skill set for sure. It works for me because we're capable. We, I say we, Jay is capable of doing so much of it. 
Mm-hmm. Or at least just having the vision, being able to deal with a stinky house and make it non-stinky. Right. It's vision. Hello, friends. We are so excited that so many of you are using the template course and the reviews are just pouring in, letting us know that it has helped your business as much as it has helped our business. Yes. Listen to this review. Thank you so much for providing this wealth of information, knowledge, and template form. So far, I've used a handful and received positive feedback like, this is so professional, or I really appreciate how organized you are. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, Your clients are actually going to say that. Yes. All right, here's another one. Thank you so much for this. I can't tell you how many times I've started this and how many notebooks of samples and notes I had. <laughs> I have ADHD and it is super hard to stay focused on getting it done. Having it all in one place is going to make it so nice. That is what we're here for. I know. Just look, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just yeah. use these. Yeah. Nice and simple, easy, ready to go, ready for you to put your own logo on, make it sound like you. So head over to hustlehumblypodcast.com slash course slash course and check it out that's right and you're gonna enjoy them you're gonna love them you're gonna, it's love gonna it. change your life literally fired <laughs> my assistant they are the best okay, enjoy the template yes enjoy uh, okay the other thing I wanted to talk about is my two most successful ever purchasers who were not okay technically purchasing for an investment but it is an investment okay so I will start by saying that both of these, when I tell you the stories, you'll see how similar they are. They were years apart, like four or five years apart, but one of them was back in 2012. I had a client come to me and say, he'd been living in the same house forever. Quite honestly, I think his house was paid off. It ended up selling it for like 235. Um, He'd been living in the same house forever. He renovated it. It was an older house. He'd done all this great stuff to it. It had all these interesting touches. But the neighborhood was sort of on a decline and he was just like, you know, I'm ready for more land. Like he wanted more space. But he ends up finding this house that has been listed for over a year on a very nice street in town that's very popular, that backs up to a golf course. It was like a real, and it was on one acre, like in the heart of town. Like it's very, very rare. It's a very nice piece of property. Can I guess? You want to guess what street it was on? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Is it on Fairway? Yeah. You're such a good guesser. <laughs> okay. So he goes and I'm going to, uh, I I'll love Fairway. Like it's such a great street. I'll just try and, and shorten it as much as I can. The house had originally been listed for seven seventy five. It had been on the market, like I think almost two years. It, the house was so bad. I mean like commercial style lighting. It, it was at least 40 or 50 years old, low ceilings, Weird floor plan, mold in the kitchen closet, like the where the uh, AC was. It was yeah. stinky. It had been inherited and it had been just sitting. Like they had it listed at seven seventy five, and they just thought we're gonna sit on it. And then eventually it had gone down in price. So by the time we approached it, the price was six twenty five. So it had come down a lot. Wow. And we looked at this house. We made an offer. We bought this house. For five twenty, <gasps> they put now. I mean, when I'm talking about like a serious gut style renovation, they put a couple hundred thousand into it. I mean, full new kitchen, cha- put, took out a wall, changed the. I mean, nothing, nothing could stay. It was all bad, and the house yeah. I think had flooded years prior because of a city drainage issue that had been mm. since resolved. So it had this like concrete wall around the property. Like it was just, there was so much, so much that needed to be done. So they put a lot of money into it. And I'm like 200,000 ish, like in that neighborhood. 
Wow. They had it appraised whenever they were done with the reno, and it was like $1.4 million. <gasps> oh, my god! So they were in it for half of the value. Did they sell? No, they're still there. But Just they, sitting on all that equity. But they could have. And, yeah. and if we go back to last episode, they could have taken that equity and done stuff with it. I mean, they could have bought some rental properties. They could, I mean, like you can, but they're just sitting, just sitting on it. And I'm wow. like, wow. And when I mean to tell you those, those reno purchases as a realtor are tough because they knew buying it, that it was a reno. I spent, I was pregnant at the time. I spent so much time in that house that people started to joke. I was going to have the baby there <laughs> because we would have to meet, you know, the electrician and the carpenter and we would be meeting a different contractor. And well, let's try another one. And we get all these numbers. Like the inspection process is a lot more intense oh, yeah. when you know you're going to renovate because you're trying to figure out numbers. Right. Right. But it was very, it was very interesting. And that's like a huge, super success story. I, I'm very proud of that one. That's awesome. I know it was good. Now, you think that's only going to happen once in your career, right? You have it again? I had it again. Tell me. So then I have clients about four to five years later, so more recently. They want to buy a large piece of property to move the elderly parents into like a guest house sort of situation. Like we want to have the main house. We want to have like a guest house. Well, they find this house on six acres beautiful and but the house is from the 1800s like over 100 years old oh my gosh and it had been moved moved to this other location where it was currently on the six acres from like downtown baton rouge back in the day in the 70s ish like it was moved so when it was moved they renovated i'm doing air quotes again renovated it so it had a weird 70s bathroom in this gorgeous 1800s home that Still needed a lot of love, but it was like the renovations were so weird. Yeah. So again, needs a gut, needs a full gut renovation, but the property is gorgeous. They're like, well, just they had a nice like metal building barn. We're like, we're going to make that into like an apartment for the parents and it's going to be wonderful. That thing was listed for six seventy five. By the time we came to it, it was listed for five seventy five. So another $100,000 a year, over a year on the market, a long, long time. I mean, this is not like a slam dunk, obvious flip sort of house. This is like a, you want to put a ton of love into this house. So we ended up, I don't remember what we had it under contract for, but it appraised $50,000 low. And the sellers would not come down. Oh no! They would not. They were. They were like, nope. Again, it was an inheritance. They were like, we don't care. We'll sit on it. Whatever. Well, they wouldn't come down. And my people were like, okay. Well, we really want it. We know we're going to put money into it. The appraisal to us is not. It's not the deciding factor. So they end up paying five hundred thousand. But originally listed six seventy five. So yeah. they pay five hundred again. Probably more in like the one fifty ish range, one to two hundred thousand they put into this house. Gut, gut renovation. Like they had to redo everything. Again, appraised after renovation well over a million dollars. Oh my gosh. But what's so interesting, like they put so much into it, right? I mean, that's a lot of risk. You just don't know what's going to happen. And I'm not saying that that would be like something I would recommend to flip. They still live there and they love it. In fact, they bought the property next door and their family. It's wonderful. But... That's a pretty good turn on your investment. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So those are my two like super major success stories. That is awesome. But it's sort of like flipping without flipping. 
Yeah, because they're still living there. They're still there. But they could sell. And even if they didn't sell it for the top of what it's valued, they would make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. They would do very well. Do you have any good ones or any thoughts about flipping yeah, in general? Yeah, I'm actually looking up one right now. Um, one of my investors bought a house from the Catholic Diocese. Oh, yeah. It was a house that the church owned for okay. many, many years. That Whenever they had a visiting priest or something like that, um, this is where they would stay. Okay. It was super, super dated, but um, very well-maintained and clean. Mm-hmm. So he ended up buying it for $222,000. Okay. And then he actually ended up moving into it for a little while. He wasn't okay. sure if he would. Um, and we sold it for $308,000. How much later? Two years later. Mm-hmm. So I want to say he put like... 40 into it yeah so maybe he was in it 260 sold it for 308 it's pretty good turn yeah he and did just fine. avoided those capital gains now my flippers that do really well mm-hmm. like when we're talking like multiple tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. are when they find a deal that's not on the market that's always the case <sighs> That's how you have to do it. Because if it hits the market, there's yeah. going to be bidding wars involved yeah. and it's just going to be madness. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I have a flipper who is always looking, always looking. Like he would buy 20 houses right now if I could find Provide. the margins. Right. But they're, they do not exist. And he, this one is not a risk taker either. Yeah. Um. But his, someone approached him and said they knew of an older lady who found out her house had termites. Yeah. She can't do anything about it. They had eaten almost the whole house. Oh, no. And he ended up buying the house for like $60,000. Wow. If it would have hit the market, mm-hmm. no way it would go for 60000 It would have gone way higher just yeah. from a bidding war. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say he put like maybe a hundred into it to fix it and yeah. then just renovating it. Yeah. And he really went out cause he could in this subdivision and removed walls and vaulted ceilings. And we ended up selling it for like uh two ninety. Yeah. So he was in it around one sixty and sold for two ninety. Yeah. In those situations, it's like, you can't lose. Right, right. But those are like the few and far betweens. Yes. And I told him, I said, look, if you get cold feet or something comes up, I know I said I don't flip anymore, but when it's one like this where you can't lose, yeah, I, I would I would try. I would take that on. Do it like, again. Even if you don't make what you thought, maybe you only make 50 grand instead of right. 90. Like, yeah. okay. 50 is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. 50 is worth the headache. Yeah. There was one house, um, let me look it up so I get my numbers right, okay. but I thought it was priced high. This is with the investor that is more risk risky, and I he stresses me out. I don't always agree with his decision. <laughs> right. I tell him, I'm like, I wouldn't do this, and he's like, oh, it's okay, it'll be fine, and I'm like, okay, if you say so, but this house came on the market in a really good area, and, and this wasn't like a huge one, but I didn't think it would work, and it did work, so... He ended up paying $147,000 for it. And 
he put like 20 into it mm-hmm. and we sold for 210. So, and it was just like a really quick, easy little one. Yeah, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot, but I mean, he still made a good chunk of money. Yeah, for and sure. And it was, it was quick. Like yeah. where else are you going to, you can't invest your money anywhere else and get get that back. I was nervous because I said, look, to sell it, we're going to have to be in the 190s a square foot and nothing is selling in the 190s a square foot. Right. But he just did a really good job on the renovation. Yeah. And we sold, we ended up selling for 191 a square foot. Um, That's a really good point. Let's talk about the, he did a really good job part that we just sort of breezed over. Yeah. It's important what the final product looks like if you're trying to flip a house. Yes. Because maybe you had to spend a lot of money on repairing the AC and I can't see that. But mm-hmm. as a buyer, when I walk in and the paint job is bad and the tiles are all wonky or the color choices are like discontinued tile or something, you can tell. You can mm-hmm. tell when a house was flipped, just like quickly done. We're going to just do whatever we have to do to make it paint livable. Yeah. But it's not, and then they sit, and then people, especially buyers who are, they're going to see what you bought it for. So then they're like, well, this thing looks like crap, and you are trying to charge me all this money for it. It's just, I think you have to be mindful of what it actually appears, like what it looks like. The quality of the renovation is huge. Well, when you're confident in your quality, and you know you're doing the right thing, even though maybe the numbers aren't there to support what you want to ask, these flippers understand that that's because the comps didn't have new ACs and roofs. Yeah. And and if we do, we can push that number. Mm-hmm. I'm always more conservative because I'm not going to sit here and promise you that I can sell it above what things have right. been selling for. Yeah. But then they do. You know who I would kind of like to talk to? Maybe we can get him as a guest. Let's see who. Mike Doron. Okay. Um, he flips houses mm-hmm. a lot in Capitol Heights, mid-city area in our marketplace. Okay. And anytime someone gets a listing that has ever, ever been renovated by him, mm-hmm. they put in the description, this is a Mike Doron renovation. It's that good. Yes. So like I even had a listing in 2017 and Mike Doron had renovated it in 2010. And my seller, and I agreed with her, was like, you have to put in there that this was a Mike Doron renovation in 2010. Why? Because this is what that means. The foundation was done because mm-hmm. he always does the foundation. He knows what he's buying when he's buying a pier and beam house. Yeah. He knows that the issues that come with that. It has usually been rewired to some extent. Mm-hmm. The roof is usually new. He go he does the windows. Mm-hmm. Um, he spends money on things yeah. that I'm like... How do you spend the money and make the money? Like you got to get the good deal. His renovations are so well done. Yeah. And he's also doing them himself. Yeah. And so he isn't paying the labor per se. Well, that's the sweat equity. But I'm just always so impressed yeah. by by what he does in a home. And then what he pushes the price per square foot so high and people does pay he? it. Wow. That's a good You're reputation at, like, though. I know you're looking at 220, 230 a square foot. Holy smokes. But um, even if there's maybe not comps to support it, they're basically raising the value of the comps. Of the neighborhood. Well, that's a great point. I mean, a good renovation. Someone's got to push it. Yeah, a good renovation should raise the value of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It should. I think that's yeah. very interesting. Like in a perfect world, of course, like the, um, so the one that I flipped was in a really good area. It was off of LaSalle. Mm-hmm. 
and it had a gorgeous tree. So, of course, I pull up to this house. I'm like, oh, the my gosh. The tree got you. I love it. I'm, mm-hmm. again, there for a listing interview, not to buy the house. And um, I was pregnant at the time, so it was 2016. And um, it was an older lady, and she had a lot of animals. Oh, And yeah. this house was stinky, and oh, it was no. filthy, uh-huh. and it was dated, but it had a really great floor plan and a really great lot. Uh-huh. And we were talking numbers, and she was like, I don't know how I'm going to show it. I'm oh, not, I can't get in and out of this house easily and take all the know. animals, and what am I going to do? And I just offered her, I said, if we listed it, I think we could list it for like, you know, 190 And if you want to sell it to me, I'd pay like 165 for it. And she was like, okay. And she said, okay. She said, you know, I mean, after you factor commission and whatnot, it was, and I said, we could ask 190 I don't know what you would get. Right. For it. And, you know, so um, in a perfect world, I learned a lot from that flip because I did not put in real wood floors. I did not have it in the budget. Yeah. Maybe I should have, maybe, maybe I could have asked more Mm -hmm. if I did that, but yeah. And then an interesting pickle. Yeah. Uh I did not feel that it was worth it. Yeah. And I went with a really, what I thought was a nice looking, authentic looking laminate. I did extra padding. So it sounded and felt good. It didn't sound like, Buyers hated it. They hated it. They hated it. Like, they just <laughs> didn't like it. And then I I did the countertops and the backsplash, but all I did was paint the cabinets. They didn't like that. They wanted new cabinets. Um, it just let me know that if you're flipping, they you're, you're attracting the buyer that doesn't want to do anything. Yeah. They want a renovated home. They don't want a home that still has projects left to do. Exactly. And um, I came out okay on it. Um, it it showed a lot. Yeah. And um, we got it sold, but I should have done more and then just pushed the price more. Yeah. I don't know what would have happened, but well, you didn't take that risk. I didn't, <laughs> and it um, bit me later. You might have sold it faster. Yeah, I might have. So. I know. Well, you don't have a crystal ball even for yourself. I have to tell my clients that all the time. I don't have a crystal ball. I can give you my best professional opinion, but I don't know what's going to happen. I know what else I want to talk about in this, uh, in this topic. Do you find that you have to explain to a lot of new potential investors or flippers how the system I know locally works where the house goes to sheriff sale. You have to have cash the day of the sheriff sale. You mean, you can't like get a loan and go to the, you know, share sale and grab yourself a good deal. And that's basically where many of the deals are, are happening. I have a foreclosure template and before our email blows up, no, I'm not sharing it. And here's why not because I don't want to share it, but because it's different in every marketplace And not everybody believes the same thing. I personally don't want to deal with a lot of that because, like I said, I don't really work with the investors as much anymore. Um, And the paperwork involved, it's not a actually a profitable business decision for me most of the time. Right. But I think it's good. You know, the the next don't feel like you have to sit down and write the perfect template right now. But the next time that a buyer asks you, "Hey, I really want to get a good deal. Like, what do you think about <laughs> foreclosures?" You know, my template does include things like 
Well, I just want to let you know foreclosures are listed in our MLS, so they are showing up. If there is a foreclosure for sale, it is showing up in the search. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about like when Zillow has a pre-foreclosure. Oh, gosh, yeah. What does that mean? That means it may not be on the market for several months. It may not even actually be a real thing. It's going through the legal process, mm-hmm. but it's not actually for sale right now. Because you can't just scoop in and buy. Like no. the, the legal process of a foreclosure is very like, lengthy. From the time someone misses a mortgage payment to the time it goes to sheriff sale or hits the market could be three years. Yeah. And I think it's required in Louisiana law in the class I took last year. I feel like it was nine months, a hundred. I think it's nine months before they can even try to do the foreclosure. And that would be a super speedy one. I don't understand the foreclosure process and the bank's system with why it takes so long, because you would think that they would want to get these things in and out super fast, but their process is just not made for that to happen all the time. It's Mm -hmm. very, it's so much paperwork and time consuming and they just make it so difficult. But I think it's good next time someone asks you, and then now every time someone asks you, you just have this template and Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have to say, so no, I won't help you. It just explains to them. Well, a lot of times they didn't have the knowledge to know that they did or didn't really want to do it. Like they, right. they, they need, they need the knowledge. Exactly. And that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Just making it easier for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I had a, a friend of mine who's a contractor tell me that like he wanted to get into flipping houses, quit his day job. He had been working on getting his contractor's license, wanted me to send him like five houses that he could start flipping. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have it. I don't have five houses to send you, no. you know? And I had to just educate him on our market and on yeah. the margins and how I operate. And I even told him, you may find a realtor that is a little more of a risk taker that may be able to help you better. Um, again, I'm not that person. And, and this is just the market that we're in right now. And he was like, I'm not a risk taker. And I appreciate you telling me that. And he did not get into flipping houses, but he did open up like uh, his construction company and does you know, repairs, remodels and stuff like that. But it let him know what direction to proceed with in life. In life. Yeah. Because I was just honest with the market. I think too, especially because of the way TV portrays it, I think that lay people don't, they think it's easy. It's work. Mm -hmm. Even if, let's just say you want to be a flipper and that's going to be your job. You can make it work, but it's work. Like I've, I've heard of local builders who, befriend like the post like the mail carrier and they would find out like if someone had passed away or like Mm -hmm. if someone had moved out or if there was like a divorce or like like they were literally knocking doors like I know we don't preach knocking doors as realtors but these investors they're knocking doors they're not yeah someone die in here there's an investor we have the house yeah there's an investor in the neighborhood where I grew up in that's buying like old dilapidated houses, tearing them down and just sitting on the lots, not even doing anything with them yet. Oh my gosh. Because the value just keeps going up. Listen how crazy this is. So we have a camp in Mississippi. Yes. And we have a realtor in Mississippi that helps us, that helped us buy the camp and also helped us buy some land around the camp. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I just love him. He's hilarious. He is so like, they're so country out there. You know, yeah. like he picked, he picked this up at a gas station and like blew turkey feathers out of his seat and was like, sit on down right here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I went hunting this weekend. There's turkey feathers everywhere and like had a four wheeler ready to go so we could ride trails and see the camps that we were looking. It was quite the experience. I bet. But he flips land. Oh. 
So this is what he does. Whenever he comes across like a good parcel, he clears a portion and he has a company that you have the map of the land and you draw how you want the trails <gasps> and they go and cut the, trail. in the trails and get the trails already and clear a little spot maybe add a little pond and then he sells it oh my gosh he's he's renovating land Yes, he's renovating land. That's amazing. And he does really well. And then he said, sometimes I just buy it for the timber. And yes. every 10 years, I cut down the trees and make, you know, $70,000 every 10 years. That is amazing. He's like, I don't have to cut it. The property, you know, because right. it's just wooded just leave property. It there. I don't do anything with it. The property taxes are dirt cheap. Right. So he he does that. He has some where he just clears the land wow. periodically. He has some where he flips the land. But he's like a land flipper. Yeah. It's fascinating. That is fascinating. It makes me think about uh, an investor I had who was a mobile home park investor. Mm. And I did not realize that that is, again, the taxes are based on the land because mobile homes depreciate in value. Yeah, they're more like automobiles. Yeah, so you're... Is how they're viewed. Yeah, so you might be getting decent rents in like four, 10, however many mobile homes you have on the property, but you pay the taxes on the land alone. I mean, there's like yeah. a whole can of worms in investing in real estate, but. Uh, so many ways we could go. We might so have to interview some of these people. We're, we're going to have to find some of these people to talk to us about it because it really is so interesting too. It is. Okay. Well, I think that was quite enough for today. <laughs> yes. And I think I hear my toddler yelling at me. So. Okay, so today's toast is a near and dear loyal follower from Texas. Yes. And we've actually toasted to her before like 40 episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has just been such a devoted follower and She shares listens. all the time. Yeah. She shares the podcast. She does. Tell, tell me what she did okay, recently. Okay, so I just, I had to ask if we could toast her again because she's always saying the nicest things and engaged in our social media. And this last message she sent was the most recent two episodes were great. All caps. (laughs) Which ones were they? Especially the one about emotion. I think I'll be listening to that one again soon. So I thought that's so amazing. I just love that, that she shares and that she tells us her feedback. And I, I mean, so I think we both appreciate that. And so I want, we wanted to toast Rachel again. Yes. Cheers to you, Rachel. Cheers, Thanks Rachel. for still sticking around with us. You've I been know. with us from the beginning. From the very beginning. <laughs> so amazing. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Bye, friends. See y'all later. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Hustle Humbly podcast. Let us know who we should toast to for the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hustle Humbly Podcast. If you have an episode, topic, or question, please email us at hustlehumblypodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. See you next week. Bye. This is the good life.